to the Mariner Podcast from Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20, T-I-N-O-J-R-2-0, and the podcast at Ethos Mariners, E-T-H-O-S-M-A-R-I-N-E-R-S. Yesterday was an off day for the Mariners. Uh, licking their wounds a little bit after uh, getting destroyed by the Rangers um, over the weekend series and a tough series with the Yankees at home as well. Uh, in today's pod, we are going to talk a bit about uh, some realistic Mariners trade targets, uh, some potential trades, some players that I think within the Mariners organization that I think are um, some that are expendable, some that are uh, would be attractive to other teams, and certainly some that most fans would not want to see the Mariners trade, but the Mariners may have to trade in order to get a better piece back. And then we'll preview the quick two-game set with the San Diego Padres uh, today and tomorrow. Um, pitching matchup for today is Logan Gilbert against Joe Musgrove at 640 Pacific. Uh, we'll talk, do a little deep dive into both Logan and uh, Joe Musgrove. So first off, uh let me walk through kind of how I went through this trade exercise. Uh, I did, for the most part, only include players from teams that I believe are going to be sellers at the deadline. Uh, I I do realize that the Mariners could make trades with uh, teams in contention, but I wanted to stick to uh, stick to the teams that I think would be willing to deal uh, to deal pieces. So, with that. I did not include any teams from the American League East. Uh, they all are currently above 500. Um, outside of Baltimore and Tampa, you know, they run bigger payrolls, Boston, New York, so on. So I did not include any of those teams. I think that, uh, you know, there is possibility that that a team like uh, Boston would potentially, you know, make some deals at the deadline. But for now, uh, I did not include them. I think that Toronto, the Yankees, the Orioles, and the Rays are probably going to be remain in contention. So uh left the AL East out. The AL Central, I included all uh, every team with the exception of the Minnesota Twins. I think the Twins may run away with the division. Uh, Cleveland is a very co- cost-conscious team, typically, and I think they would be looking to deal the right players under the right circumstances. And then the Tigers... Royals are pretty young and the White Sox are, uh, are, I would say building in a slightly different manner than the other teams in the division in that, uh, they have spent some money. Uh, they certainly have a ton of, of, uh, Cuban players, um, some older players. Uh, I, I just feel like they're going in multiple directions and you could see them blow it up if they were really out of contention early. So let's start with those four teams in the AL Central. Players avail- that I would see as available um, in the AL Central, we have Ahmed Rosario, uh, who is a shortstop for the Cleveland, in- Cle- excuse me, Cleveland Guardians. Rosario is capable of playing second. He's certainly capable of playing the outfield. Um, if you played him in a corner outfield, he wouldn't be taking advantage of his speed necessarily, which I believe to be his uh, best characteristic. He is a free agent in 2024. It's part of the reason why I I would uh, I see him as a candidate to get traded by the Guardians. In fact, I would be surprised if he wasn't traded by the Guardians, given uh, given his contract situation. 
he has struggled quite a bit um, this season. Uh, he is a, about a seven. He's like a 700 OPS kind of true player. He is going to hit for a little bit of power. He doesn't take walks. He doesn't, in my mind, he's not going to contribute much or he would not contribute much to a, uh, to the Mariners if he was, uh, if the Mariners were to trade for him. I just, I don't see him as a difference maker. Uh, currently this season, he's hitting 224, 270 OBP and a 584 OPS. Um, in 21, he hit 282, 321, 409. You know, he's going to hit low double digit home runs. He had 11 in the, in 21 and 11 in 22. He's going to steal somewhere between, you know, 10 and 20 uh, bases. Offensively, he really is kind of a, the last couple of years been a league average player. I do think that's his true talent. Um, can you debate whether he's a better player than what the Mariners have at second base currently? Uh, maybe a, the slightest upgrade, but not one that's worth giving up any assets for. Uh, in Cleveland, as a, a cost-conscious team, I do think would be interested in Mariners' young players. The other player on their roster who I don't believe they would trade, but I think would be a, a – would be a good player for the Mariners to look at is the recently uh, signed Josh Bell. Uh, he was signed as a free agent uh, this offseason. He signed for $33 million over two years. The Mariners, Mariners would be on the hook for uh, this year and then obviously 2024. He's 30 years old, switch hitting uh, first baseman DH, could play corner outfield in a pinch. Big guy, 6'4", 261. So, Josh Bell was a top prospect coming up. Uh, he popped 37 home runs uh, for Pittsburgh in 2019. Since then, he's hit for a lot less power. He draws a ton of walks. Um, this year, his walk rate is 13.7%. Uh, last year, it was 12 and a half. Uh, I tend to lean towards or prefer players who do have that kind of walk rate. Uh, in that way, he would be a nice counter to Ty France. He would probably end up getting some reps at first, but being a primary DH. Uh, this year, he's hitting 225, 329, 676. It's not what uh, Cleveland signed up for, but, you know, the previous season, he hit 266, 362 um, with the 784 OPS. And then in 21, he had an 823 OPS. So, you know, he's a player that hits for a decent amount of power. He gets on base a ton. He's got a pretty, I would say a slightly above average hit tool. Not going to provide any, um, any value defensively, but he is a player that I would, that I would, if I was the Mariners, I would be willing to give up a, uh, a decent prospect, even a pretty good one. I think that Josh Bell could be a difference maker in this lineup. He would certainly extend the Mariners lineup. I would expect him to hit, Probably in the four hole. Um, if tail was going well, I would think that he would hit in between, uh, in between Julio in the three and probably tail in the fives. Julio, Bell, Teo, Cal Raleigh, and either Kelnick would move up to the two or move down slightly. It would take a lot of pressure off, off of Jared Kelnick, clearly. Um, so what kind of prospect would I give up for Josh Bell if I was Jerry DePoto? Uh, would I give up Jonathan Classe for him? Probably not. 
I might be asking for a low-level prospect back from the Guardians. I think Class A is proven to be a, a high-level prospect at this point. Uh, Jonathan Class A, for those who don't know, is a 21-year-old outfielder in AA. Uh, previously, there was questions about his power, but his his hit tool and his speed were certainly there. This year, he's gone off. He's been one of the most productive players in, in the minor leagues this season, and I think he will. we will see him debut on top 100 prospect lists probably somewhere between, I'm guessing, 40 and 70 uh, in the middle of that top 100. So that's a big, big jump for Class A, certainly a valuable prospect for the Mariners. The Mariners do have uh, both Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez uh, for the uh, near and kind of mid-future and so I do think that makes outfield prospects for the Mariners a bit more expendable than they would be without Kelnick and J-Rod. Uh, but I don't know if Josh Bell quite is the value that I'd be looking for in exchange for a prospect of that magnitude. Uh, Emerson Hancock, former first-round pick of the Mariners, uh, number six overall a couple of years ago. I think he is a probably a back-end starter um, with the ceiling of a number three or four. Uh, to get to three or four, he has to continue to strike out hitters as he has this season. But Hancock is is someone I would consider giving up for Bell. You know, if the Guardians were to come asking for a Harry Ford or a Cole Young or a Felnin Celestin or Lazaro Montes, that would be a hard stop for me. I think those prospects are, are better than uh, the value we'd be getting back for Bell. But, you know, Axel Sanchez, Tyler Locklear, kind of the half notch below, even a Walter Ford, uh, Prelander Barroa, those are the types of, of prospects I'd be willing to give up for Josh Bell. So Josh Bell's one. Um, I don't know that the Guardians would trade him, given the fact that they signed him in the offseason. Maybe they want to get off the contract, given his performance this year. But I would be interested if I was the Mariners, given his track record. Uh, the Detroit Tigers, I did not identify anyone on the Tigers roster. Any of the talent on that roster is pretty young. Um, the Chicago White Sox. Uh, Jake Berger is a third baseman for the White Sox and a DH. He has played a little bit of second base. He can certainly play first base in DH, and I think in a pinch could play a corner outfield spot. Uh, Berger is one of those guys that is a – he's a big dude, and when you look at him, you, you just – I don't know what else to say. He's a big dude, but uh, a burger can hit. And with Yuan Moncada and his contract locked in at third, Andrew Vaughn locked in at first, there's not a ton of places for him to go, especially if Eloy Jimenez continues to be their full-time DH. So Jake Berger's kind of, I wouldn't say rotting on the bench, but he's a bench player for the White Sox currently. Uh, he was a first round pick in 2017. And he's really just, He's hit. He's 27 years old. He's not a free agent. He's controllable until 2029 when he would become a free agent. Uh, this season, his triple slash is 265, 317, but a 923 OPS. In 145 plate appearances, he's hit 12 home runs already. That power isn't necessarily um, – I think he's hit for a little bit more power than one would expect, but he is. he does hit for power certainly. Uh, he ran a 761 OPS for the White Sox last season, 25302, 761. Uh, at minimum, he would be a very, very good uh, player to hit against lefties um, for the Mariners. I think that the Mariners would probably find a lot more 
uh, full-time action. I think he probably would become the Mariners' uh, full-time DH if they were able to deal for him. Similar to Bell, um, more control, obviously less track record. I would be willing to give up a prospect below the level of Class A, Ford, uh, Young, Celestin, Montes, those types. Uh, You know, a... Could, would the White Sox be interested in, for instance, I actually, I actually include Gabriel Gonzalez in that list as well. Um, but would the White Sox be interested in a Michael Arroyo or Michael Morales or even a Tyler Locklear, who I think is similar to Berger in that he's a right-handed corner infield bat, but a little younger? Could they be interested in Emerson Hancock potentially? I think they would. Um, you could even add a a bat like a Taylor Trammell, Um and I think that would be something that that would potentially help uh, the White Sox. You've seen them go through, you know, Gavin Sheets and some and rotate through some other players that are similar to Trammell. So that's a potential uh, candidate as well. Uh, the AL West, the only team I included was Oakland. I think that the obviously the Rangers are off to a hot start. The Angels fancy themselves as a contender. Uh, the only way I see them trading pieces off really is if they're just going complete fire sale, thinking that Otani's gone. And then the Astros, the Astros, um, they're not dealing any one of the Mariners. I think the, that that uh, Graveman Toro trade was was a once in a decade sort of thing between the two teams. Uh, so the one play or the two players I saw on Oakland that uh, the Mariners may be interested in are uh, right fielder Ramon Laureano. And he played can play some center and uh, first baseman corner outfielder Seth Brown. Ramon Laureano, I don't think would help. He's had a OPS below 679 over the last two years. Uh, he has a great arm in right field. He is a very good defensive player, but Laureano, I don't think moves the needle for me. Uh, Seth Brown does. He's 30 years old. Uh, in 2022, he hit 230. Uh, 305 on base percentage, 749 OPS. He had 25 home runs. He's also pretty fast. He stole some bags and he's not a free agent until 2027. Brown is not, a, again, not a player you'd give up an elite prospect for, but I think Oakland would take any of the lower level, um, you know, uh, kind of 50 future value types of guys from the Mariners. You know, could it be a, as an example, could, could it be a, uh, Michael Morales plus Tyler Locklear for Seth Brown. I think the A's would jump at something like that. If I was the Mariners, I would I would be more than happy to make that trade. Brown would probably slot in as a DH as well, kind of like uh, Josh Bell, and could spell in the outfield at first if needed. All right, next, the National League East. I included the Miami Marlins and the Washington Nationals on this list. Um Braves are always looking to kind of maneuver and make deals. I didn't look at the Braves. Phillies, I think, are are so um, uh, all in at this point that they're they're not looking to deal any any sort of piece that would help. And I think the Mets are in the same boat. The Marlins are playing very well. They're playing good baseball right now, but I don't expect the Marlins to sustain uh, their success. So I put them on the list, and then obviously Washington Nationals are one of the worst teams in baseball. The players that I found on those two teams, uh, Jesus Sanchez is a 25-year-old corner outfielder for the Marlins. He's arbitration eligible in 25. He's a left-handed bat, free agent in 28. 
Uh, he's been hurt off and on for the Marlins. He's got a pretty explosive bat, uh, 97 plate appearances this season, triple slash of 302, 381, and an OPS of 928. Um, I don't think it would take a ton for the Mariners to get Sanchez from the Marlins. Uh, again, one of those second-level prospects in all likelihood. I certainly think the Marlins would be interested in, they might even be interested in a Marco Gonzalez if healthy or a Chris Flexen. Um if they fancy themselves as being uh, any sort of contender, those two pitchers, I should say, do have value to young teams in that young teams don't want to put a ton of innings on their young pitchers. And uh, the Marlins have Yuri Perez up in the major leagues, uh, Edward Cabrera, um, Braxton Garrett. They've got some young pitchers that I think they'll want to protect if they're out of contention. So Flexen or Gonzalez could be a potential uh, uh, match for the Marlins. Uh, Brian De La Cruz is going to cost a little more. I think he's a little better player. He's a right-handed hitter. Again, an outfielder can play center, uh, probably better in a corner, but is capable in centers. 26, arbitration eligible in 25 as well, free agent in 28 as well. Currently tr- hitting 299, 348, 799. Um, good player. I think he would slot in a little bit lower in the lineup, probably six, seven, eight, and in that in that range, but would certainly solidify um the corner outfield and allow for uh Kelnick potentially to sit against tough lefties. Um but more importantly I think uh have Tail Hernandez um DH quite a bit more. Uh he would lengthen the lineup a bit. I like him a lot. I don't know that the Mariners would want another right, prioritize another right-handed bat and certainly another outfielder, but De La Cruz is a good player. I just, I do think that the asking price from the Marlins would be too much for De La Cruz talent. I think they would ask for one of those top level uh, prospects. And and as the Mariners GM, I would not be willing to give that up. The other player on the Marlins uh, is Jorge Soler. Jorge Soler is 31. You may remember him as the, uh, Cuban prospect for the Cubs years ago, uh, big dude, 6'4", you know, 240 pounds, imposing figure. He he hit, I believe it was 47 home runs a couple of years ago for the Royals. He's a free agent in 25. He can opt out after this year. Uh, $12 million a year contract. I think after this season, he probably would opt out. Currently hitting 245. Uh, he does have an 858 OPS. He's one of those who's a threat to hit the ball out every single time he's up, he's at bat. Uh, if he gets hot, he can carry the team for long stretches. Uh, he would be a DH on the Mariners exclusively, I believe, but, um, a player that, that I think is a threat. He, again, he would lengthen the lineup quite a bit. You could see Suarez hit, you know, five, six, seven. You could see Cal Raleigh hit five, six, seven. Um, would be a welcome addition. And I don't know that he would cost a ton given his age and his opt-out in 23. Uh, the Nats, I have the whole lineup. Uh, but the player that I would target if I was the Mariners is Joy Manessas. He was a, a revelation last year, signed, I believe, out of independent ball or Mexican ba- or Mexican league ball. Uh, 31 years old, a free agent in 2029, arbitration eligible in 26. So that's something you w- really wouldn't worry about. Uh, currently hitting 305, 746 OPS. Um, he hasn't hit for as much power this season as he did last season. 
in 240 plate appearances in 22. He had 13 home runs and he hit 324, 367, the 930 OPS. Manessas can play first. He has played a little bit of third base for the Nationals. I don't think that would be a fit for the Mariners. He can certainly play corner outfield. Um, but I think on this particular team, he would probably end up DHing most of the time. He'd be a lefty killer. If the Mariners had Manessas in their in their lineup, you would really start to see, you know, left-handed pitching, I think, would would be uh would struggle against the Mariners with J. Rod and Suarez and Manessas and Teo and Ty France. There's a lot of very, very good right-handed bats. Um, I don't think he would cost a ton either. I don't I think that the Nats would ask for a top-level prospect and settle for one of the second-level prospects that I named earlier. Um, I should say, too, that I put Brian Wu on the Mariners' list of players to trade as well, uh, despite his last start. I think that he would be of value to um, really any team. I think young or teams that are young and not in contention would obviously look at him as a, as a rotation piece uh, for the future. Teams in contention um, could see him as, because he's so fastball slider heavy or fastball sweeper heavy, maybe a uh, – a uh, leverage reliever type to begin with to see if he could start down the road. So I should mention Brian Wu in this as well. Uh, NL Central, I have all five teams. It's Milwaukee, Pittsburgh, Chicago Cubs, the Reds, and the Cardinals. Players of interest on those teams. Uh, So I have Roddy Tellez. I don't know that I love the fit with Tellez. Uh, He's a big dude as well, power hitter. to hit 219, 306, 767 last year, but he had 35 home runs. He's on a similar pace this year. He's arbitration eligible in 24, free agent 25. Um, he is a big part of the Brewers team. I think they would ask a lot for him. From the Pirates, Carlos Santana, I don't think would cost much, especially if the Pirates are out of contention. I don't know that he's going to provide a ton of on-field um production for the Mariners if they traded for him. But I do think that the clubhouse changed when he arrived last year. And I think the clubhouse changed because he's not here this year. I think that I, while I don't, not a huge subscriber to that, to clubhouse chemistry and whatnot, I do think it does have a bit of an impact at times and Santana proved that. Wouldn't give up much for him though. Connor Joe, uh, corner outfielder for the Pirates could right-handed bat could also play first base. He's 30. He's not a free agent until 2028. He's hitting 252, 341 OPS of 820. I think his true OPS is probably somewhere in the the mid to high 700s. Would he help? I think he would. I think he would again lengthen the lineup in a similar way to Manessas and some of the others. I don't think he has explosive of bat, but I'd be willing to give up a a decent minor leaguer for Connor Joe on the Cubs. So maybe my favorite trade candidate for the Mariners is uh, Ian Happ. Ian Happ is a switch hitting corner outfielder for the Cubs. Uh, He has played some second base for the Cubs. If the Mariners wanted to really try to shoehorn shoehorn him into second, I believe that, um, that they could. Boy, uh, he's a free agent in 2024, and I think that's the, one of the big places to start. Uh, if the Cubs are out of contention and they don't believe they're going to re-sign Hap or he's not a part of their future plans, 
I don't know that he would cost nearly as much of, as a player of that level of production would with more year, more controllable years. Uh, this season, he's hitting 268 with a 383 on base percentage and a 783 OPS. He only has four home runs, but he's running almost a 16% walk rate. In 22, he had 17 home runs, 782 OPS. In 21, he had 25 home runs and a 757 OPS. He's a switch hitter. He can play an okay second base, probably slightly below average, but I think the level of production, given his walk rate and his power that he would provide the Mariners would be huge. Uh, the Cubs, I'm sure, would take a a prospect or two that were decent, um, especially ones who are closer to the major leagues. Uh, a prospect like a Tyler Locklear would probably be an immediate upgrade over a player like Patrick Wisdom. I know Wisdom has hit a bunch of home runs this year, but he's really a pretty poor 3-2 outcome type of player. Uh, the Cubs would probably take pitching as well. Emerson Hancock, uh, Juan Mercedes, um, even a Taylor Dollard, I think, would would open the conversation. You may have to, to trade two of those three in order to make the deal. But I think Hap would be a great fit. I think the Cubs would be looking to deal him if they didn't have him in their plans. They have a ton of middle infielders um, in the minor leagues. So, uh, and some corner outfield prospects as well. So Hap is one that I love. I would love to see that trade. I know people have clamored for Jonathan India. He's 26, uh, currently the second baseman for the Reds. He's not free agent eligible until 27. I'm not a huge fan of India. I think that uh, his 2021 really gave him a lot uh, more helium, both in the fantasy community and real life, than maybe he deserved. Uh, excuse me, I think that was the in the 20, his 20, no, that's right, his 21 season, where he hit 269, 376, 835, 21 home runs and 12 steals. I believe he was the rookie of the year in 21. Last year, he had a 705 OPS and 10 home runs. This year, he's back up to 785 OPS. He's got pretty poor range at second. Um, I don't know that India is much different than, say, Colton Wong last season. I know Wong has struggled this season, but the Reds would be looking for a ton back for India. He's controllable. He's a team leader. Um, and so the bump you would get from him versus what the Mariners currently have with Wong and Caballero, I don't know if that's worth mortgaging, you know, two top prospects or a top prospect and a, you know, a uh, middle of the top 10 Mariners prospect. I, I I wouldn't do it. I'm sure that's an unpopular opinion, but he's not, he's just not my guy. And I don't think that he's much of an upgrade on the Cardinals. Certainly people have talked about Tyler O'Neill. He's not getting along with the front office. He's been off injured. He's not getting along with the manager, um, Ollie Marmol. This season, he's got a 620 OPS, 22, he had a 700 OPS, 21 was his career year, 912 OPS, 34 homers, 15 steals. Uh, that was partly on the back of a 366 BABIP, his, his success in 21. Uh, not my favorite player either. Uh, would he fit on the Mariners? Probably not with Teo Hernandez already on the roster, but I don't believe he would cost a ton at this point in time. Um Worth mentioning, not my favorite player. I'm going to move through some of these quicker for the sake of time. Uh, Christian Walker, 
first baseman for the Rock, or excuse me, for the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks are contending right now. I don't know that they would love to trade him. He's kind of your slugging right-handed first baseman, 800 OPS sort of guy who's going to hit a ton of home runs, low average. Uh, would he help? Sure. Would he link in the light lineup? Sure. Um, I don't think he would put the Mariners over the top. Uh, Diamondbacks also acquired Lourdes Goriel, uh, from the Blue Jays in the trade. Uh, the Gabriel Moreno, Dalton Varsho trade. He's a free agent in 24 as well. He's 29 years old. He is currently destroying the baseball. 310, 359, 909 OPS. He has nine home runs, doesn't walk at all. Um, can play first, could play certain, play a little bit of third, can play corner outfield. Uh, does he make the Mariners better? He does. Do, would I be excited about trading for Lourdes Gurriel? Um, probably not. He has a 734 OPS in 22. Um, he's just, he's a free swinger. I think the Mariners have, they need patient hitters to lengthen this lineup, to get deeper into counts, to get to bullpens, opposing bullpens faster. So Gurriel, is he a candidate? Sure. Do I want the Mariners to target him? No. Players on the Giants that I would love for the Mariners to target are Lamont Wade Jr. He's a free agent, 26. He's 29 years old. He walks a ton. Uh, Michael Conforto, we talked about him previously. I wish the Mariners would have signed him. He is. He has hit 11 home runs and has an 807 OPS so far this season. He could be a free agent candidate for the Mariners next season as well. He's going to opt out with uh, if he reaches 350 plate appearances this season. Jock Peterson signed a one-year, uh, $19.7 million deal with the Giants this season. He's a free agent next season. He is a left-handed power bat that you is a strong side platoon guy, um, but he runs OPSs in the mid-800s and certainly does damage. He'd be, a, I think he'd be a wonderful fit on the Mariners, but... I don't see the Giants trading any of these guys unless they fall out of contention. And then lastly, uh, I know there are a lot of fans of Ryan McMahon out there. Um, can play second, can play third, certainly can play first. Uh, he's 28 years old, left-handed bat for the Rockies. Uh, signed a six-year, $70 million extension years ago. He's got an, or excuse me, recently he's got an opt out uh, in 25 and 26. Contract isn't egregious, obviously. Uh, he's hitting 258, 335, 814, uh, nine home runs. That all sounds good, right? You could get 800 plus OPS production, nine home runs from a guy, you plug him in at second base, you're good. However, Ryan McMahon. This year is hitting 295 with a 934 OPS at cores. In a way, he's hitting 229 with a 715 OPS. For his career, he's hitting 272 with an 848 OPS at home and 217 with a 659 OPS on the road. Hard pass for me. I know there have been some success stories, Nolan Arenado in particular, of players who have succeeded outside of cores with those kinds of splits. Um, while they were a Rocky, not a chance I would want to take. I think McMahon is a player that the Rockies would be asking a lot for. So that's a pass for me. Uh, a couple other names, Charlie Blackman, CJ Cron. So 
are there some candidates out there on teams that are probably going to fall out of contention that the Mariners could trade for without mortgaging the farm? I think so. Josh Bell's one. Jake Berger's another. Jorge Soler. Joey Manessis. Uh, Connor Joe. Ian Happ. Um, Lourdes Goriel. Uh, Lamont Wade Jr. Jock Peterson. I think all of those names would improve the Mariners. I don't think any of them are worth mortgaging multiple top prospects. Uh, some Mariners fans may say, well, the Mariners, you know, current uh, minor league system is ranked, you know, in the bottom 10 in the major leagues. Currently that's kind of been thrown at me when I argue that the Mariners have a really great um, system for developing players. My argument to that is, when I look at the at the health and the success of a player development system, Mariners or otherwise, you've got to look at the players they've developed over the last couple of years, right? So when you're ranking the current minor league system for the Mariners, sure, you might see them in the 20s. Okay, fine. But did Julio Rodriguez not get developed in this system? Did Jared Kelnick not get developed in this system? Did Logan Gilbert not get developed in this system? George Kirby, Bryce Young, Brian Wu, all the relief pitchers that the Mariners have taken off the scrap heap, Cal Raleigh, right? The Mariners have a, an incredible, incredible um, player development system. And don't let the minor, the current minor league ranking fool you. It's That doesn't say anything. That doesn't say anything about their success over time. And when you look at the Mariners currently, Felnin Celestin is 17 years old. He was the Mariners' top international signing last year. And I promise you that Celestin is going to end up on top 100 lists that come out midseason. He's that kind of talent. Lazaro Montes is a monster. He's like 6'7", first baseman, could play a little corner outfield. He's probably 250 pounds. And he he has an, an incredible bat with all of that power. You don't see him... Um, ranked and you don't hear about him because he's 18, but these guys are coming. And Walter Ford was a, I believe a second round pick, a great right-handed army. He's 18 years old. He's down there. Gabriel Gonzalez is a really nice bat in low A. He's 19. Cole Young is on top 100 lists already. He's 20. He was a Mariners first round pick last year. He's killing it. Tyler Locklear is a corner bat that, that is going to hit and corner bats don't typically get ranked very high. Because, you know, they on the defensive spectrum, they're so low. But Locklear could be a, you know, could be a, a Ty France type with a little bit more power. And that's not a, a an exaggeration, right? You've got Harry Ford, Mariners' number one prospect. We all know about Harry Ford, kind of a unicorn, a catcher. And then in double A, the Mariners have Emerson Hancock, who, you know, you could begrudge him all you want. He's still a back of the rotation starter in the major leagues. Prelander Baroa, who's probably going to be a dominant reliever. You've got Jonathan Classe blowing up high A and double A. Brian Wu just made it. Bryce Miller just made it. So my point is the Mariners have an incredible system in developing um, youth and have a ton of assets to trade that major league teams would trip over to, to acquire. So when people say the Mariners don't have anything in their system to trade, you, you're blindly looking at you know, a bleacher report minor league ranking, right? 
they have a ton of, of players who other teams would value when looking to trade veterans to the Mariners. So that argument to me doesn't make any sense at all. Do I want to see the Mariners gut their system to get a couple of players? I don't, but they do have a good thing going. Um, do I expect them to make a trade? I do. I think that's a lot of the things that Jerry DePoto has been saying um, say to me that the Mariners are going to make at least one decent sized trade, potentially more. I should add also Seth Brown is another player that I would love for them to target. So I just got Seth Brown, uh, Joy Manessas, Ian Happ probably as the three, and Jock Peterson as the four, who I I would really like to see them um, uh, target leading up to the deadline. So uh, enough trade talk for now. Those are some candidates, some players that I think the Mariners would look to trade. Uh, This series with the Padres, I think, is – going to be a fun one in my mind it's always fun to see um to see teams play that you don't you're not used to seeing uh play one another i know that they share a spring training facility and so this is considered a little bit of a natural rival for the mariners um i don't know that i subscribe to that but always fun to see teams uh interleague teams play reminds me of uh watching the all-star games before there was interleague play. I really enjoyed that as a kid. Uh, the Padres currently are 27, going into Monday, they're 27 and 32, seven and a half games behind the Dodgers. Their playoff odds are 53.1%. Uh, obviously they signed Xander Bogertz to the huge contract um, heading into this year. Fernando Tatis is back off of his long suspension and injury. They're expected to have a dominant offense with a uh, core four of Juan Soto, Xander Bogertz, Fernando Tatis, and Manny Machado. Has not proven to be that as of yet. Uh, Soto's probably been their best offensive player. 253, 420, 900 OPS, 10 home runs. Xander Bogertz has got hurt a little bit. Um, he started off at a house of fire, but he's really slowed down. Seven home runs, 725 OPS. Fernando Tatis is just a natural ball player. Uh, even after all the rust, 820 OPS and 11 home runs playing in the outfield. Machado started off really, really slow. Triple slash of 222, 275, 628 OPS with five home runs. Obviously, all four of those players have an incredible track record. I expect all four of those players to um, to finish very close to their baseball card average. Uh but, you know, you look at the rest of their order, uh, their batting order, and this was against uh, Kyle Hendricks, a right-handed starter, yesterday. You see names like Rugnet Odor. Um, Jay Cronenworth is a decent uh, major leaguer, not my favorite, but a decent major leaguer. Gary Sanchez. Uh, Matt Carpenter is their DH. Hassan Kim is their shortstop. Kim is a good defensive shortstop, but is he a starting shortstop on a championship team? I don't think so. Uh, Trent Grisham is their center fielder. Grisham really struggled with the bat last year. You've got Austin Nola, um, Brandon Dixon, who's been a, a minor league journeyman for years. Alfonso Rivas is another guy on their bench. So do they have the four stars? Absolutely. Um, but the guys that fill in the rest of that lineup are, are made, are borderline major leaguers. Um, so they're prob- I'm assuming they're expecting those stars to really carry the offense. That's what you would look for if the Mariners were to lose in this series. That's probably why. Um, and then their rotation, the Mariners will see um, Joe Musgrove and Michael Waka. Uh, 
Walker was signed to a free agent uh, contract this year. Musgrove has been a part of the Padres organization for the last couple of years. Blake Snell, you Darvish are also in this rotation. They really struggled with that fifth spot. So that brings me to Joe Musgrove, uh, today's starting pitcher for the Padres. He's 30 years old. He was originally picked by the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, the Pirates. He's in the Pirates organization as well. Um, wow, there's one organization I'm missing off the top of my head that he pitched for. Oh, Houston Astros. That's right. Uh, he signed a five-year, $100 million extension, I believe, this season, um, and it runs through 27. He was hurt to start the year a bit. He's only thrown 36 in the third innings this season. It's 3-2 and two with the 4.71 ERA. Uh, I kind of throw out those stats when looking at who Joe Musgrove actually is because in 22 and in 21, he ran ERAs right around three. 1.08 whip in each season, 181 innings in each season, uh, pretty much a strikeout per inning or just above, um, a little better control in 22 than in 21. But, you know, that's kind of the pitcher he is. Uh, low threes ERA, 1-1 uh, whip, um, gives you innings. His swinging strike rate has decreased every year since 2020. Uh, in 23, it is currently 10.4% which is right around league average. Um, fastball, cutter, curveball, slider, changeup are all double-digit percentage usage. Fastball, the highest at 30.2%. Uh, average is 93 on the fastball. 90-mile-an-hour cutter, 22% of the time. Uh, curveball, about 20% of the time at 81 miles an hour. Slider, 13% at 83 miles an hour. Uh, curveball and changeup get 35% plus whiff rates. Slider 29%. What is interesting to me is Joe Musgrove profiles as a pitcher with two plus breaking balls, um, curveball and slider considered plus, and a fastball that was hittable. Um, he had to work really hard to get his four-seam fastball to be an effective pitch. Uh, but this year, he is running negative run values, which are good for the pitcher, with both the four-seam fastball and the cutter and positive run values with the curve and the slider. Uh, so it looks like he has kind of reversed uh, the effectiveness of the pitches, at least uh, thus far this season. Zone contact rate against Joe Musgrove is 86.3%. Currently, league average is 82. That means it's a little easier for major league hitters thus far to hit, to make contact with balls in zone against Musgrove. That speaks to his... Um, I think lack of deception at times. His pitches are a bit hittable. And then the whiff rate is right around right around league average at uh, 24%. So, you know, the matchup with Logan Gilbert is they are in some ways similar pitchers. Um, if you think about the scouting report of Musgrove and the lack of effectiveness on that four-seamer, with the exception of this year, that's kind of what Logan Gilbert is looking at. I know that sounds weird given the... Um, elite results of the four-seam fastball with when Logan Gilbert first came up in large part due to the extension on it. Um, but this year he's proven to be uh, much more effective with the breaking stuff and he's lost a little bit off the fastball. I'm going to do a quick uh, deep dive with Logan Gilbert just to uh, uh, for fun. Um, 26 years old, picked 14th overall by the Mariners in the 18 draft. He is arbitration eligible in 25. 
and a free agent in 28. I fully expect the Mariners to offer him an, uh, an extension pretty soon here. This season, he's 3-3 three and three with the 4.08 ERA. He's got a whip under one at .98, 62 innings, 52 hits, 11 walks, 73 strikeouts. 4.3% uh, walk rate is elite, 28.7% K rate. K minus BB is 24.4. Um, as I've stated previously, anything above 20%, you're starting to get into a pretty good range. Uh, the one stat that stands out for me with Gilbert is that his left on base percentage is 61.8%, which is much lower than league average, probably close to 10% lower. What does that mean? It means that uh, either he's been ineffective in stranding runners or unlucky. Um, you expect that to uh, come back closer to the norm or the mean. Uh, and you see that in his expected ERA, which is 3.03, .03, a full 1.05 runs um, below his actual ERA. 11.5% swinging strike rate, 100th percentile extension. But that means that where he releases the ball is closer to the batter and further from his body than um, really any is in the top 1% of Major League Baseball. That gives off the perception that, or creates the perception that the ball is moving faster for the batter. Um, he's given up at least one run in every start. Uh, he's given up four or more runs in three of his 11 starts. Uh, his platoon splits are pretty even. 215 with the 603 OPS versus lefties, 220 with the 589 OPS against right-handers. Um, and then his pitch mix and uh, the quality of his pitches or the shape of his pitches has changed this year. Um, most of you know he's added a splitter. He's throwing that 14% of the time um, at 85.4 miles an hour. He's surrendering a 109 average on the splitter and has a 33.3% whiff rate proven to be a really good pitch for him uh fastball 43.3 percent 95 miles an hour average surrendering a 309 average at this or not 95 mile an hour yeah average 309 batting average against he's lost one mile an hour off the fastball versus last year which i find very interesting um it certainly might be part of the reason where he's why he's uh less effective with the fastball and then he's reduced the horizontal movement on the fastball versus last year by 1.1 inches. So a little more vertical um, and a little slower this season. Uh, slider, 88.7 mile an hour average. He's really turned it into a gyro slider, which is a, a vertical slider as opposed to a horizontal one. Uh, only 0.6 inches of horizontal movement. So side to side versus 6.1 inches last season. Um, so he's taken all the horizontal movement away from the slider and he's added 2.4 inches of vertical movement. So it really is a true gyro at this point. Uh, and then the curveball, 18% usage, 82 miles an hour, 81.7. 158 average against, 33.8% whiff. Um, he's throwing a slightly harder, 0.9 miles an hour Um He's got more vertical, uh, more vertical movement than last year, and more horizontal movement than last year. So, curveball is a higher quality pitch at this point. So he's got the curveball, he's got the splitter that obviously is working. He's got the slider that's more like a gyro. Um, so he's working very vertical at this point in time, um, up and down the zone, in and out of the zone, as opposed to side to side. Uh, 
84.2% zone contact rate, slightly higher than average. Chase rate is about 5% higher than at league average. And he throws first pitch strikes about 2% more than league average. Uh, Logan Gilbert's just fun and a competitor. I think that it is interesting that he tweaks every year. Um, he is a student of the game. Uh, I expect his, you know, I expect his numbers at the end of the year to be consistently just a half notch below that of, of uh, George Kirby and, and Luis Castillo. But um, Gilbert's a quality starter, man. And for the Mariners to have uh, Castillo, Kirby, and Gilbert as their top three make the Mariners a pretty darn lucky and privileged organization with regards to pitching. Ah, long pod. I apologize. Lots to talk about. Um, certainly excited about the moves that the Mariners potentially can make. Um, I don't know that the Mariners will pursue a ton of pitching unless the um, unless the Mariners suffer another significant injury. Uh, that's why I focus more on the hitters. I think the offense is where they can stand to improve the most. Uh, thanks for listening, you guys. This is super fun. I'm really enjoying it. I look forward to watching this game tonight. I'll be back tomorrow with a uh, a pod on this matchup between Logan Gilbert and Joe Musgrove. Um, expect the Mariners offense to, uh, to play a little bit better in this series. Um, I don't know. It's been fun. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening, uh, to the Mariners podcast from sports ethos. Once again, you can find me on Twitter at Tino junior 20 T I N O J R two zero and the podcast at ethos Mariners P T H O S M A R I N E R S. Take care y'all. Peace.